Hello one and all, welcome to Red Voices, my name's Ewan Leonard, thanks again for stopping by this week, and this time I'm properly delighted to say that I'm joined by poet, writing, musician, United fan, and our friend, Musa Rakwanga, to go over Sunday's win over Leicester, amongst other things. Musa, how's tricks? All good, all good, thanks. Uh, slightly chilly, um, out here in Berlin, minus two degrees, but otherwise, yeah, yeah. in great spirits. You were, you were at football training last night for your team, weren't you? I was indeed, I was indeed, uh, brave the cold. It's really rewarding actually training those conditions because it means that you're really up for it. So yeah, they're no, all good. Very happy. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into a discussion of uh, Sunday's win. We won a game, user. That's novel. So after, <laughs> after the last couple of weeks and those three consecutive league draws, how did the United's performance and the result grab you on Sunday? Strangely enough, it was um, oddly similar to some of those earlier results uh, in, in the opening stages. But only I was noticing, having looked through some of my reports, it's really interesting how United do start slowly with um, the pass in midfield in terms of the tempo. And then having broken the game open, you know, there's three goals in quick succession. Uh, and really, I think the major change actually was the ruthlessness in terms of the finishing. There wasn't that much difference, actually. Um, United weren't actually that much more impressive than some of the recent draws. But they just happened to be a bit more ruthless this time. And I think, you know, let's be specific, Mkhitaryan was really to thank for a lot of that. Yeah, it was a funny one. I, I agree with you on that one. And with what Mourinho was saying after the match, and he said, well, that was pretty much how we normally play. The difference was that we actually took our chances. And once we got that first mm. goal, we really seemed to grow in confidence. Do you think confidence is still a big factor for us at this stage? Yeah, I think I think confidence is one thing. It's also maybe a structural problem. So if Rashford down the left, the best use of his talents, I'm not convinced that it is. I think also you have the problem that so much of the... Play goes through Ibrahimovic, you know, who's been terrific this year in many ways. His finishing has been poor now and again, but the attack is so centrally focused that if he's, he's not firing truly, then there's a sluggishness to the game. And I think also having Pogba in a deep line position means that he's maybe 15 yards deeper than he should be to affect the action. Uh, but, you know, that, that that's good enough for 80% of the teams in the league. Um, so, yeah, I think Mourinho was right to an extent, but there are also structural problems. Sure. Uh, let's see, the first half hour of that game uh, at the King Power Stadium did seem to follow a, a similar pattern. And it, it was almost Van Harles, wasn't it? It was painfully slow until uh, Smalling stole in and managed to get that uh, that header from the middle of the park. And then Mkhitaryan doing a wonderment for that magnificent opening goal. It was funny, though, because I don't know about you, but when I see Mkhitaryan make that sort of run, I just immediately assume he's going to score. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There was a bit of a foreshadowing of that goal. You know, Mkhitaryan, one of his early appearances against Hull, mm. um, when he carved between, I think, three or four players uh, away from home in the rain. And when he's in that position, he's as devastating as almost anyone in Europe. It's just the directness, uh, the change of direction, the decisiveness. You know, he's he's a funny player, Mkhitaryan. He's a blend of a sort of winger, a forward and a ten. And there are very few that finish that well from that deep. So yeah, like you, know, when, when he when he seized onto that ball, you were thinking actually, you know, this could um this girl this guy. Yeah, it was a it was a lovely way to to break the deadlock. And that was also part of uh, Mourinho's sort of tactical switch, wasn't it? Which was putting him behind uh, uh, Zlatan in that number ten role. It's one of those things where uh, if you're going to play Zlatan, then <laughs> as much as I love Juan, I don't necessarily think you can put Matter in that role because between the two of them, Matter is the fastest one, and that's not really saying much. No, no, and also I think you lose. Yeah, when you lose the speed there with Matter and Zlatan, you also lose the speed of the pressing on the break. So if you've got Zlatan and 
uh, matter directly opposite you as the nine and the ten, then it's easy to play out from the back, whereas someone like Mkhitaryan can actually put pressure on defensively. So yeah, you're totally right there. Oh, good. Sweet. <laughs> agreeing on everything. We better throw some controversy. We better discuss the election or something like Trump, you know, just to get sort of blood flowing. Oh, I don't know. Let's not go down that road yet. We, we've got the rest of the evening to go yet, mate. Come on. Good grief. I mean, yeah, that, that goal definitely opened things up a little bit. And then uh, Antonio Valencia with another wonderful little mazy run into the box. I mean, Leicester weren't necessarily, I think perhaps they're a little bit shell-shocked at this stage, but it mm. seemed like uh, very easy pickings for Zlatan's 20th goal of the season there, wasn't it? Yeah, well, they're missing Angolo Kante, aren't they? I mean, those those spaces uh, didn't exist last year so readily, and that's why people like Mahrez are less effective. Uh, but yeah, you know, and that's credit to Valencia as well, because he really has done a lot of work this season, not only defensively, because he always works hard there, but also his final ball is much better than it was. Well, well he's got one now. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he's got it. I think, you know, we can obviously remember, he's got it back, hasn't he, to an extent, and also his decision-making. Um, he's not just crossing it high and hard into the box, he's cutting it back and he's doing it more intelligently. And, you know, credit to Zlatan because he was in position really well for that. I mean, you know, any time a six foot five player finds, uh, you know, five feet of room in the box, it's not to be sniffed at. No, for sure. Um, spoke to Daniel Harris, who uh, writes for The Guardian about a year ago about Zlatan when there was rumours that we could be getting him. And he mentioned hmm. that he wasn't necessarily a fan of a Zlatan shtick. How do you find him as a character? Ah, well, I, I've been really impressed by his, you know, character in terms of uh, how he's been getting on, on and off the pitch. So I saw a great piece by Sid Lowe in today's Guardian about Kevin Prince Boateng, and Boateng was singing his praises, saying that actually the shtick is, it's kind of just the top soil. It's a bit of an act or persona. Uh, the real Zlatan actually is a great team, uh, but very funny, very engaging. And you can see by the way that he's been talked about this year by the players that I think he's bringing a lot to the team in terms of his character and in terms of leadership as well. Mm. I mean, that's, that's 20 goals scored by a United player for the first time since Sir Alex Ferguson retired, which I guess when you think about the problems that we've you know run into over the last three and a half seasons, it might not be that much of a surprise, but it definitely feels like a significant landmark. And I guess that's a sign of progress to a certain extent, isn't it? Totally right. And I think Slatan is the player. You know, he's obviously a transitional signing, but my goodness, just to have somebody who's reasonably reliable in front of goal, um, you can take advantage of some of these chances, especially while some of the other players, let's be honest, are, are misfiring a little bit, has been so, so useful. So, yeah, he's been, in that sense, a terrific signing. Yeah, just one more question on Zlatan. Would you sign him up for another season, despite what that might potentially mean for the likes of Martial and Rashford? Yes, I think you do that, because then you can phase him out, because I do believe he's at the phase of his career where he is ready to take an increasingly backsy role. So moving on to uh, the second half, and essentially the game was done. I mean, the game was, you could almost say the game was already finished by the half anyway. Leicester weren't necessarily up to much. I, I did wonder in those first couple of minutes whether or not they would be bang up for it, purely because it's us. You know, there was a, mm, there was yeah. a, bit, there was a bit of intensity around the stadium in the opening period, and then that seemed to die off once we remembered that we can score goals. And then Matter's <laughs> goal, for me, the, the pick of the lot. What did you make of that one? Oh, the third goal. Yeah. Um, they had a brilliant movement. I mean, there was funny because, again, that goal was foreshadowed in the first half. There was a really nice piece of combination play between Mkhitaryan and Mata, I think about 25 minutes, half an hour in, um, when they really got their act together. They played a really sharp one, too. And, you know, they, they kind of picked them open again. And that kind of reverse pass movement was a bit relevant of, um, I suppose, what David Silva was doing 
at City. It was a similar, you know, pass and move that you saw there, cutting the defence open. Mm. And the funny thing with Mata, actually, this is the weird thing. Mata's obviously not the quickest, but there are some points when he actually looks really, really fast. And the third goal was an example of that. His movement is so good at certain points in decisive areas that he seems to have, you know, a couple of yards more pace than anyone else, which is a, which is kind of funny considering, you know, how, how slow he seems to be at times. Sure. I mean, uh, that speed of movement and thought wasn't necessarily in evidence when he had that chance a little bit later on, where he essentially just had the goal at his mercy and cash with Michael and essentially oh, no, tried to the chip Welbeck it. Chip. Oh, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> so I call it the Welbeck chip. I think Richard Kahn has mentioned this before. Oh. You know, they threw a goal and you chipped the ball into the hands of the keeper um, like, like against Neuer uh, under the days of Moyes. But yeah, it was a... <laughs> Lesson. It wasn't, wasn't the best finish that, but luckily the game was sealed by then. No, blimey! I mean, that. Speaking of that, of that Welbeck chip. Uh, I mean, he had a chance as well in the in the second leg when he was clean on goal at, at the Allianz, and uh, you know, th- those two mm. particular moments in that tie, they just give me shivers still. I, re- I reckon that. Looking, it's funny, isn't it? You look back at those games and you wonder if that was the death now, don't you? Mm. You really wonder if that was if those the games were actually you know that that's where the, the sort of Welbeck's sale was sealed. Yeah, I mean, it was it was that following summer where Van Hal essentially said he didn't have any need for him, and then we plumped for Falcao, and well, that ended well. Oh well, but look look at Falcao now; he's got yeah. like fourteen and thirteen games or something, or thirteen and fourteen in France. I, I know it's France, but you know he's looking a lot sharper. The Monaco team now is outstanding. Mm. Ironically, the Monaco team is what it's a it's a team of young attackers around a pivotal central striker, which is basically what Falcao was. Falcao is basically doing what Zlatan um, was, is, has been signed to do this season. So it's ironic how, um, how things work out. For sure. I mean, going back to uh, Sunday's game, uh, given that, as I said, we, we had drawn those three league games previously, it did feel quite significant to get what felt like a fairly straightforward win, especially considering you know the whole game left. I know I, I was incredibly frustrated after that. It was... Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. yeah but, um, I mean... All right, well, let's wind back to next Wednesday. What did you make of the whole game? Oh, well, oh, goodness me. You know, the thing is, that game was a microcosm of what's been happening all season. So you could look back at the whole, but you could also say, well, well you know, that's reminiscent of the Burnley game, for example, where there is something about United. You know, they've spent so much, I mean, hundreds of millions of pounds on that attack in recent seasons. And there just isn't a decisiveness. And it, it actually, in many ways, is simple as that. There's just not this ruthlessness. I think, actually... There's almost an eagerness to please among the players. Um, we forget how young some of these players are. Players like Pogba, I've mentioned this before, aren't as confident as they appear. And you know now they're talking about Griezmann. And Griezmann, the thing is, Griezmann alone will not solve those attacking problems. No. Um, I think a lot of the problems are also structural. So you could put Griezmann in the existing team, and you'd still, I think, struggle to get as many goals out of that lineup as as they should. I mean. It then made that victory on Sunday all the sweets, especially as we'd failed to pick up points on Wednesday night when so many of our uh, the teams in above us, because we're still in sixth, had um, it's, it's points. Unreal! It's unreal having been virtually unbeaten for for months and to be sixth. I mean, that, that just shows how appalling the start of the season was, doesn't it? Oh gosh, it was so terrible. I mean, well, the first three games were great. You know, we scored a late goal, we pretty much dominated Southampton and Bournemouth, and then suddenly City. You know. It, it, I'm not necessarily sure it was as, as quite much of a swinging point as the 6-1, but it's frustrating that a loss to City at home had such a, a trying effect on us in those first couple of months because it really sort of shook Mourinho up in the team, didn't it? 
Well, it did. I think, you know, it's funny. You can look at sort of two turning points of the season. I think one was the loss to City, to which I think Mourinho overreacted with the treatment of Mkhitaryan. I'm sorry to be a, no, no. <laughs> a flat earther about That's that, fine. but I think that his treatment of I think his treatment of Mkhitaryan was really, really poor in the early part of the season in terms of selecting him and not selecting him. And the second turning point was the 4-0 um, against Chelsea. I think I think from that one onwards, United's defence become far, far more unpleasant at attacking proposition. Mm. Um so I think there's two turning points. But yeah, you know, the valuable time was lost in those first two and a half months of the season that we can't, unfortunately, regain now. No, for sure. I mean, at least with that Leicester result, we were able to gain some ground due to Liverpool losing to Hull. Liverpool had a brutal time of it. Um, mm. Yeah, and Arsenal have been going through it too. I mean, the funny thing with Liverpool actually losing to Hull and Arsenal losing to Everton, those teams have both actually started playing really good football. So those losses aren't as bad as they look. Um, if you think about it, like I think Everton's win over Arsenal was the kind of spur for Everton's spurt in form, and Hull's win over Liverpool again could have been foreseen the way they've been playing against us and other teams. So those results aren't as bad as they look, but obviously they're very good for for United. Mm, sure, I mean you're looking now ahead to it, it. Actually, it's quite nice to have a bit of a gap this week just to breathe and not worry about what we're going to be doing uh, for any sort of midweek game, and obviously that kicks up next week when we've got San Etienne on the Thursday in Europa League. But you know, right. here we have Saturday. Uh, Hull travel to Arsenal, and I really, really fancy them to get a result. Liverpool playing Spurs. We could actually move up a place this weekend, music. Oh, no, oh, no. This is optimism, isn't it? Oh, gosh. Oh, God, I don't know what came over <laughs> optimism me. Optimism is the great killer. Look, the Hull is so organised now that you're right, I think, an away point. An away point is a strong possibility. Plus, I think there's a little bit of blood in the water um, for Spurs at this point to keep the pressure on. Again, I think Spurs have let themselves slightly too much to do this year. Mm. And I think their squad is slightly small to catch uh, the way that Chelsea are playing now. But, you know, all things are possible. I think you're right about Arsenal in terms of a, a possible draw. But I, 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 don't know, I think that Liverpool actually need a result so badly they might do something interesting against Spurs. For sure. I mean, you know... Any time two teams above us are playing, at least we'll make ground on someone. Should we actually beat Watford? Oh, God, I've said the words there, haven't I? Oh, my goodness, yeah, you have. But then, then again, we have to have that optimism because, frankly, you know, Watford are a good side. They've got some good players. They're the kind of team you should be beating if they're looking to finish top three. Um, and I think it's about time we kind of, um, you know, made the next. Sure. Uh, just a quick word on Leicester as well. I was... Um... I was thinking a lot about this over the course of the last few months and just getting almost frustrated with their drop-off. Like, I expected them to be better. And then I kind of flipped the thinking around a little bit and looked at it from the perspective of being Welsh and thinking about the Euros last summer and thinking, if Wales don't qualify for the World Cup next year, how I would feel about that. And given what happened at the Euros, I'm not necessarily sure I would be that angry or upset at the team despite the high standards that we set last summer do you think there's a bit of that sort of approach from Leicester considering just how terrible this title defence has been I think it's a really really good comparison I mean like look look at the Wales squad a lot of those players um, are at their peaks so both professionally and personally you know they're at an age where they're mature they're taking leadership it's also the catharsis of playing the major tournament the first time in you know two generations really and that is a high that's difficult to come down. And Wales, Wales played so well in that tournament because they were channeling. First, they were channeling so much of that. And secondly, let's be honest, again, some of the major teams underperformed. So it was a combination of those factors. And this year, we've seen the same thing. Leicester, um, sorry, last year, Leicester had a, a group of players who were peaking. 
And also they had the fact that a lot of major teams were underperforming, being poorly coached. This year, unfortunately, the footballing IQ of the Premier League has gone up in terms of coaching about 20 points with the arrival of Conte and Guardiola. Mm. Uh, and also a lot of those major clubs have been really badly embarrassed to the point where they've invested a lot in the squad. So Leicester have been left behind. And really, this performance is closer to what they should be producing. And they've lost in Golo Kante, which you cannot overstate. Um, you know, arguably the pivotal midfield of the last two years in English football. So, you know, these are these are devastating losses. Sure. Let's uh, switch the attention over to uh, one of your favourite human beings, Jose Mourinho. So, <laughs> so looking specifically at what we've seen, you know, this season, also taking into account everything that we know of him from his time in the Premier League and beyond, what have you most enjoyed about life in the Mourinho, and what have you least enjoyed? The thing I've most enjoyed about Mourinho so far has been the decisiveness in the transfer market in the summer. So he brought in four players, you know, Bailly, Mkhitaryan, um, Zlatan and Pogba, and those have all been superb signings. Really, really terrific. The thing I enjoy, I've enjoyed the least, I think has been some of the man management. The curious rotation of Luke Shaw, um, maybe keeping Rooney in the team a few weeks too long, start of the season, keeping Mkhitaryan out too long. And, you know, obviously Martial's had problems off the field, absolutely, obviously, but Mourinho's failure to make public excuses for these players before he used to has been a bit of a concern. Uh, but, you know, with Mourinho, this is the problem. Um, I don't know if he's a player that's, sorry, I don't know if he's a manager who's capable of moderating himself even in older age. So, yeah, I think that's a, both the two extremes, the transfer market and the man management. Yeah, the Martial situation. I mean, I mentioned that whilst I felt like Mourinho got a lot right uh, on Sunday's game and you know the switch to 4-2-3-1 opened the game up to a certain extent and you know lots of you know good decisions otherwise the one thing I wasn't necessarily content with was the fact that at 3-0 it was a perfect opportunity to drop Martial into the side to just let him play without worrying about expectations which is something that the likes of Memphis very very rarely got during his time you know over the last six months so I found myself quite frustrated that we would see Ashley Young come on. Not because I don't like Young, but what are you essentially going to gain from chucking him into a game in that situation? You know what Young can give you. With Martial, there's still, to my mind, from what you can see from Mourinho, a big question mark over how he can contribute and what he's going to be able to do. So how that situation in particular, do you think that has got a likelihood of causing some real damage? I think it does. I'm really worried about it. And I think that the problems Martial has had, you know, the run of form in the team, you know, regardless of what I think off the pitch, is the run of form in the team, the fact that he's playing too wide. And if you bring in a player who can really overlap very well, you allow Martial to play closer to the middle of the pitch and the inside left position be really, really dangerous. And I just worry. I just worry if Martial is treated like this for the next few months on end, that he's going to start looking elsewhere quite aggressively. And if he does leave, then that's a loss that United are going to regret for, I think, several seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's the, we were speaking to Miguel Delaney yesterday, which was uh, did a really good chat with him. Which uh, <clears throat> hint, hint, you can actually get on uh, all the normal outlets on iTunes and everything. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, Miguel mentioned that he um, that he felt that Shaw would be sold essentially, given the option right now. He obviously is not able to do that at this very moment in time because it's February. But that was something that. Mourinho would potentially consider going forward. So, in terms of treatment of players, we've seen Mkhitaryan chucked out in the cold for several months. All right, there was an injury in there as well, and the City game was not great. 
and then you know there's no. a treatment ashore. It, it does seem to vary over how long the players are going to be out in the cold, and Shaw's essentially been on the sidelines for what seems like the entire season. And then with Martial, you know, it's, I think it's uh, six goals in 22 appearances all season long in all competitions, which isn't necessarily poor numbers, and I'm not necessarily sure it's second season syndrome. It just feels like basically Mourinho management for Mourinho's sake as opposed to actually trying to adapt to the situation to a certain extent. That's completely right. I mean, and look, I mean, a lot of people have said that Mkhitaryan's treatment, and I hate to come back to this, but I think it's relevant in Martial's case too. A lot of people, you know, some Mourinho loyalists have said, oh no, but Mkhitaryan wasn't producing the goods. But let's all remember the substitution when they threw Mkhitaryan on, I think against Feyenoord when United were 2 down um, with 20 minutes to go. And then he said, look, make a difference, Mkhitaryan. And after the game comes out and says that elite players should make the difference in those situations, and it just seemed like he was throwing him to the wolves. It seemed like a very vindictive substitution. Mm. And keeping Martial on the bench like this and hanging him out to dry in public like this, they just seem like very brutal and also inefficient pieces of decision-making and management. You know, the, you know we, we often say there's a kind of great genius behind Mourinho's man management. Sometimes, but sometimes he's just being a bit frustrated, I think. And sometimes he wants... You know, like you say, he wants ready-made, cookie-cutter um, results other than actually shaping an attack around around a player. Sure. I mean, it will be really interesting to see how he handles Martial for the rest of the season. And, you know, there's also an argument to say what we're going to get out of the likes of Bastian Schweinsteiger. You know, he wasn't sold in January, potentially, maybe because you know, Mourinho felt he could get something out of him with the amount of games, but he was happy to sell Morgan Schneiderlin. He was, you know, obviously got a lot less years on the clock and can provide something more of a, you know, an energetic spark to a certain extent. Yeah, well, that was... <laughs> Again, Schneiderlin was another funny one because he seems like a player that United could really have done with. In those, you know, those two months where United basically their form into black hole, are we really sure that... Fellaini, you know, who put in the effort, I'm not trying to attack Fellaini personally, um, are we really sure that Fellaini starting ahead of Schneidlin was the best thing for several of those games early in the season? I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that we are. I'm not sure that we are convinced. And I do feel, you know, and I'm no expert um, compared to Mourinho, that Schneidlin's omission early on was a mistake. Um, and I do feel again that Martial's omission has been a mistake because I think that it's cost us valuable momentum um, and, and uh, and decisiveness in finishing positions at a time when United really needed it. Let's think. I mean, what would you describe as a, a successful season for us this season, then? Um, one cup and a top four position. Mm. I know that sounds harsh, but I think given the amount that United have spent, given the quality of players already in the squad, I think that they just need to try and muscle into the top four spot because that really is how United define themselves a Champions League club. And I think that... Yeah, I think they've got to win one of the Cups, mm. just the sake of continuity and for these players to really bond and bunny something together. I think that's really important. Sure. I mean, it did seem like uh, in watching the celebrations for the FA Cup last May that that seemed to have quite a big galvanising effect on the team. I mean, obviously, we had no games to go after that with Van Gaal to really mm. see what could have happened. But getting into a habit of winning trophies again, especially under Mourinho, because he will demand so much from the players next season because of the way the league campaign has gone this term, I think it's going to be hugely important to at least get something from this season, whether that is top four, whether that is uh, the League Cup or the FA Cup, or maybe even getting all the way to the final and winning the Europa League. Yeah, you're completely right. You're completely right. And the League Cup actually has been really important to 
yeah, historically, I think he's won it three times or four times. So is it three or four? It is, is at least three. I know that much. So, you know, Mourinho's aware of the need to win something or to really bond people. That I hope that continues on. Obviously, that's a strong chance of that happening. That'd be great. So just before we head over to Twitter questions, uh, one of our former players has found himself in a, a, a spot of controversy, would you believe? Uh, Gary Neville's comments <laughs> on Arsenal Fan TV, uh, what was it, suggesting that any fan who wants uh, Arsene Wenger out after his 20 years of service is a quote-unquote idiot. Uh, now, his um, it, it's quite interesting to sort of see what, someone who's got such an incredible knowledge of the game thinks about the whole situation surrounding sort of fan coverage slash fan cams and obviously we're not on that same level because we're not talking to fans immediately straight away at the game at, at, at the stadium after a match and obviously emotions run a lot higher in that situation but it's very very interesting to hear what Neville thinks about that and what he you know how he judges those fans in particular because to my from my perspective I don't necessarily think that we as United fans can be that horrifically judgmental of the Arsenal ones because God knows what we would be like in their situation. Yeah, I think the thing, the thing I think what Neville was reacting against so strongly was just the sort of the intensity of the anger and the fact that on Arsenal fan TV and other fan channels, the anger does feel very performative. Mm. It does feel very performative. And it, there, there is room for saying, and I, you know, I think. I slightly depart from Neville in the sense that I do feel that there is an argument for bringing someone new in after Wenger. There is an argument for that. But I think that the case has to be more temperately made and with respect for what Wenger's done. And when you've got people, you know, I think this is Neville's real problem. The way they were tearing into Wenger straight after the match, um, and that, that seemed a bit disrespectful for a manager who's been there for so long. It is fair in some ways to say that aspects of the game may have passed Wenger by, at the same time, it's important whenever you speak of someone like him to recognise that contribution, even as, as frustrating as it gets in the current environment, as frustrating as it gets. Sure. I mean, it'd, it'd be very interesting to be going through that. I mean, I'd, I'd say it'd be quite interesting to go through that. I really do not want to go through that. I'm not sure that would be particularly enjoyable going, you know, for all these games and then having that pressure and wondering maybe this could be our year. That does seem like it would wear you out after a little while. I mean, the problem is... <laughs> And look, look, I really, anyone that knows my writing knows I really enjoy the way Arsenal play football and really like many of their players. The frustration, I'm, I'm even I'm, I'm even frustrated thinking about them, I'm even an Arsenal fan. Um, they just have this, this frustrating ability to implode at vital points of the season. Mm. And that is just, I mean, it, it must be appalling because they've got the players, they've brought Chaka in, they've got Sanchez, they've got Ozil. They seem to have everything it takes to make it work. And, you do wonder, if you look at a player, like you look at a manager, sorry, like Conte, I've done that twice now, I call managers players, maybe that's how pivotal they are these days. That's um, all right. You look at a manager like Conte, you wonder, actually, if someone like he was in charge of Arsenal, would that mentality that seems to be missing be a bit stronger? I think maybe, maybe it would be. At the same time, you also look at Chelsea and Arsenal and realise that, you know, Arsenal destroyed Chelsea earlier this year. In the same way that last year, Arsenal were the only team to completely outplay um, the league leaders, uh, Leicester, the league winners, Leicester. They beat them, I think, 5-2 and 2-1. Uh, mm. So Arsenal are a really interesting team because on their day, they are the best team in the league. Um, but for whatever reason, the players who, in whom Wenger has shown so much faith don't reward him when it really counts, mm. which is odd. 
Right, let's go <laughs> off the evenings with some Twitter questions. Uh, at Tom Reeks asks, uh, thoughts on Mkhitaryan being used more centrally as a number 10? I mean, we, we spoke a little about that about earlier on. Do you see that as being Mkhitaryan's mm. natural role in this side going forward? I think that he's a player that's just dangerous anywhere across the front line. He is almost unsurpassed in so at Daniel Chad asks, this is a very interesting one, Rantcast or Red Voices? Rantcast or Red Voices? I think full-time devils, full-time devils all the way. Oh, see, that that, that is a wonderfully <laughs> diplomatic answer. It's a Blairite answer, I've gone for third way, it's a Blairite answer. Oh, well played, <laughs> good stuff. In all, in all seriousness... Um, they're both terrific podcasts, and I've I, I mentioned them, I think, before. Um, uh, they're both terrific podcasts, and what I love about United programming and the stuff they do, the, I really enjoy the full-time devil stuff, mm-hmm. and I really love the range of columnists you've got. Actually, think about Red Voices, I love the variety. So you've got you, you've got Richard Can, who's terrific as well, obviously. You know, it's just, it's really great, uh, the whole thing. So yeah, big, big fan of what you guys are doing. Oh, dude, thank you very much. I mean, I didn't even ask him to say that, everyone. <laughs> I've been well briefed. <laughs> mm. Stephen Roberts asks, is Smalling a terrible footballer? Ouch. And is it possible that Rojo is actually our second best centre-back behind Bay? No, he's not terrible. Uh, I was thinking, though, recently, that it's such a funny thing how Smalling seems to score goals just when everyone is doubting him. Yeah. Just when everyone's going, oh my goodness, like, yeah, Smalling, he's not really all that, and then it pops up at a, a decisive moment. I just think that Smalling, actually, when he looks back at his career, will be said to have maximised his talent. Mm. You know, you look at a player like Bailly and you think that his peak is not in sight. You look at Samuel Mtiti, you look at Raphael Varane, and you think these players have still got another 20% to give. I don't see that when I look at Smalling. When I look at Rojo, actually, funnily enough, I look at a player who is very, very good at passing the ball out from the back. Promptly, there's a guy that actually Rojo is as good as anyone in the back four at getting the ball into feet, but you know, beyond the halfway line, actually, in some cases, really, really early, really quickly. And that footballing brain, funny enough, is really, I think, um, something he doesn't get quite enough credit for. And I think that he is just a player who really needs great advice on positioning because on, on Argentina's run to, you know, admittedly a fairly easy run to the World Cup final, considering mm. how difficult that run has been. Rojo was really impressive. It's funny with Rojo, isn't it? I mean, again, as, as, as has been pointed out, he makes a better centre-back than he does a left-back. And he is one of mm. several players, several defenders, who have actually found more of a natural home in the back four, you know, and Valencia being the other one. And, you know, Phil Jones as mm. well, under Mourinho. And it, it's so strange how so many of these players that we've seen you know, four or five of them in the United squad and the current squad, not necessarily players that have been brought in by Mourinho, just players that he has just clearly instantly improved. And that's not necessarily across the board. Yes. You know, I mean, I don't necessarily sure what he can do to make Rooney a more integral part of the side. I mean, I, I think we're all sort of on the same page in that one of saying that you know, this is going to be mm. a clinical season for Rooney's uh, career. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to see how the likes of Valencia and Rojo and Jones and Herrera have all found a home under Mourinho. Yes, and that's the, that, that lets give complete credit to Mourinho there for the coaching. I think with Rojo, and I, <laughs> I didn't quite answer the question, I think he is probably the second best centre-back at United now, um, behind Bailly. Um But he always was a centre-back, I think it's important to remember that. You know, he's left-footed, but if you look at him in the World Cup, I think he was really kind of... He was best as a kind of, you know, left, it was a bit of a wing back, but also sort of uh, a sort of left centre back in the mid, in a sort of in a back three. So I think that is his rightful position. 
And I think, you know, he's a tactically he's tactically quite adept, but he's a player that responds well to coaching. Jones's problem has always been, as we know, it's been primarily the injury problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valencia has always had tremendous discipline. Um, it's very difficult to remember too many big defensive mistakes of uh, Valencia's, with the exception of the FA Cup goal. He conceded to Welbeck. He gifted to Welbeck with a back pass. Um, you know, Valencia is someone who's always responded very well to tactical instruction. And Mourinho likes those players, doesn't he? He likes players who basically say, this is my job. I won't bury outside it. I won't stray outside it. I'll stick to the plan. And when he's got players like that, they tend to respond really well to his um, to his coaching. Mm. Just a couple more bits and bobs before we round off for the night news. What has been your favourite moment of this season from a United perspective? Oh, um, the first half against Leicester, the 4-0, uh, was really wonderful, just mm-hmm. in its entirety. I just think uh, I, I, it's hard to sort of separate... You look at Pogba's run of form for those so most of the two months when United were unbeaten in, in the league, um, that was, and, and they, all competitions were really tremendous. Mm. Some of Pogba's long passing. Actually, my favourite moment was Pogba's arrival. Oh. Let, let's be real. My favourite, yeah, because when Pogba arrived, I thought to myself, this is a player who has the potential to dominate European football for the next 10 years. Mm. So, yeah, I think Pogba's arrival, before the ball was even kicked, was the high point for me, because... It just gave me a sense of what was to be. And I, I, I do believe that next year, from the start of next year, Pogba's going to be, I think, he's going to be consistently elite. Yeah. It was it was interesting listening to you on the on the Rankcast last week, just talking about Pogba in particular in terms of his sort of temper right. and his actual character. And I thought back to those uh, the, those big interviews that he did with MUTV. And it was really interesting to see because, you know, obviously, uh, outwardly, you know, Pogba is all about bravado and flash but when you actually saw him sit down and talk to United about what it meant to come back to the club, everything about it was genuine, it was honest and it felt very heartfelt Yeah, and I just think that I think Adidas just needs to have a slight think about the fanfare they whip up before those matches you can't go into games again, like Liverpool saying you're going to sort of kick their asses or whatever they, they were tweeting you, know, mm. you don't do that against Liverpool, historically there's not enough margin to have that kind of confidence before a game and I just think he needs to be protected a little bit more, which sounds strange given, you know, he's a he's a big boy to look after himself. I just think that having um, having a better midfielder alongside him, I think, in a defensive midfield, I think not because I was Carrick too much, because Carrick has been terrific this year in many ways, but to have slightly more mobility um, alongside Pogba um, to go with Herrera, I think next year it's going to be really vital. So whoever they bring in to replace Carrick, um, in the long term, it's going to be vital too for Pogba's form. Mm. Right, last one. Predictions for Saturday against Watford. Ooh, um, two nil. Two nil. Imagine two Watford. Yes, yes, two nil. Two nil. Good two stuff. Nil. All right, music. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us this evening. We very much appreciate it. The pleasure's mine. Can I just say, keep up the terrific work. I really enjoy your analysis, both the written work and the. Their spoken work, obviously, on the on the podcast, um, and I hope you guys get many more listeners. Be happy to share your work for many months and uh, years to come. Loving it. Thanks very much, dude. You'll get your kickback later on. Don't worry. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. So, awesome music. Where can folk find you on the old interwebs? Uh, just on Twitter at uh, at Okwonga. So that's O K W O N G A. Twitter handle O K W O N G A. And also, I write for ESPN FC. Um, I write three times a week on United. So I write. Uh, Match ratings, player ratings, I do a feature on a player and then bits and bobs as well. So I'm around on the SPN FC too if you fancy checking out there. Superb. I can heartily recommend you guys all do that. 
Uh, only other things to add on top of that. I don't forget you can find us on Twitter, which is uh, Red Voices MUFC. You can get me at at you and Lennox, and you can get the podcast at redvoices.net. Uh, Rich's uh, The Week at United blog will be up this week as well, which is always worth a wonderful read, giving that man's uh, incredible use of prose. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for stopping by. Once again, we will be back with you after Watford at the weekend. Have yourselves a cracking week. Cheerio. Cheerio.